And welcome back to another episode of Loss of Down. I'm your host, Stephen Weed, of course, always joining me, my main man in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Mr. Walter Lukashensky. And of course, before we get into it, I want to make sure you guys know this is brought to you by TabEase.com, the premier Delta A edible. And make sure when you go to TabEase.com, T-A-B-E-A-S-E.com, tell them Stephen Wally sent you. Use the promo code FOOTBALL, get 20% off that order. You also get free shipping. It's been a week since the last time we spoke. Had another great week of NFL football underneath our belts. Your hell week is officially a week away. You're done with it. How the hell have you been, man? I've actually been doing really well. I, I, the only issue that I still, I guess, feeling the effects of hell week is that I left my microphone, as I'm sure you guys can tell this last two weeks with the audio. I have no idea where I left it in Wisconsin. But I have to find it or replace it. So by next week, it should be a little better. But beyond that, yeah, man, dude, I was so excited to see the Raiders win the way they did after having such a turbulent week or two. Felt just good to get, what, focused on football again. And then I know you're excited, too. Your Packers beat the Bears on the road at Soldier Field. You're going to be giving your buddy a, a hard time if you haven't already, I'm sure. Me and Adam were going back and forth. As we always do, when it's when it's NFL season, we just talk a bunch of shit to each other. When it's Bears-Packers week, with the uncertainty of maybe Justin Fields can be that quarterback that will show success against the Green Bay Packers, as Aaron said, I still own you. And Green Bay showed it, but we will get there sooner rather than later. Yeah, we will. I will say this for Adam Alfonso and the Bears fans out there. Future is bright with Justin Fields. I think they finally have one they can build around. We just have to hope they eventually get the opportunity to build around him. But otherwise, Steven, let's just jump into our stories right now. And Sean Taylor, he was getting his number retired this week. It was kind of a sudden announcement. And it has a lot of people kind of being, I guess, a little speculative that this was more of a PR move after everything that's been going on with Washington in the last, not just a year, year and a half, but... I feel like a lot of people don't even realize that the John Gruden saga started with the probe into the Washington football team. It, it felt weird because Sean Taylor deserves to have his number retired. I just wish it was done in a little bit more of a, I don't know, a better fashion. Let the, I mean, his family didn't know Steven until this week. Something's a little fishy about that. PR stunt, I'm, I'm on board with that. All the, the timing is very off. On top of that, your team is horrible. You had a lot of more successful years that your team was doing. You know, the Kirk Cousin era, when they were at least went to the playoffs a couple times. That seemed like a good time to do it. They're on the up and up, and now they're on the downfall. They just – it didn't make sense to me. With that aside, it's it's awesome seeing Sean Taylor's number finally retired. And we, didn't get, we didn't get enough of him, but we got – Enough to determine, you know what, this guy was a special talent. We lost him too soon. And one note I do want to say before we move on here to the next story, I'm sure you saw the videos of Jackson Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes' little shithead brother doing TikToks, stepping on it. I can't fucking stand this kid. For him to do something like that is so disrespectful. Of course he doesn't know the magnitude of what he's doing and the magnitude of disrespect he's he's bringing to the game. That shouldn't be allowed. And... At least me and my friend group in our in our group chat, we really, really fucking hate Jackson Mahomes. So this did not make it any better that he was doing this. Nonetheless, awesome for the Washington football team fan base. Get that Sean Taylor. Get some recognition in his family. Get on the field. 
get some cheers his way. And, you know, they, they were playing, they were playing pretty well that first half with a lot of that momentum leading Kansas city into halftime. But once again, we will, we will get to that second half here sooner rather than later. The next article we have here in an ESPN front row article released on Monday afternoon, the legend of Dick Vitale, we were told was diagnosed with lymphoma. So this would be the second time this year in 2021, he has been diagnosed with some form of cancer. At 82 years old, yes, he has a 90% cure rate, but man, this guy is still battling. And as much as I hate Duke, as annoying as he is when he rides those the Cameron crazies or even when he goes to UNC, he is a historic part of covering that tobacco road rivalry. And as a Syracuse fan who has, who has that team in the ACC who plays Duke and UNC at minimum once a year in college basketball – I got to see a lot of him being from North Carolina, got to hear a lot of him as well throughout the years of that of that rivalry. So I'm I'm hoping the best for him. He's a legend in the broadcasting game, someone we can definitely look up to, even though he's really annoying. He's a little quirky and annoying. I can understand that, but naturally he is. When you hear him, you think college basketball. There are those certain guys that can transcend sport. And kind of, well, I don't know, he's a superhero. You hear Dick by telling that, oh, come on, baby, or whatever the hell he's doing. It's just, ah, man, it gives you chills. You think, like you said, Duke UNC. You think of buzzer beaters. You think of huge games on ESPN. It's, dude was special. He still is a great guy. And I know last year he talked about wanting to do a game and he's 100 now. I don't want to do that for just the sake of keeping his, I don't know. (laughs) You want to keep that reputation around as well. You don't want to have it be like a player where they go a little too long. But I, that just goes to show how much he loves the game of basketball, and I, I really am pulling for him. And he asked for prayers and thoughts and good vibes. So anything you guys can do like that, they're all going his way. The best was the quote that he had here. If you see me, please just give me a fist pump and say a prayer that I can return from being 82 years old to acting like I'm 12. Thank you so much for your love. Boom, baby! You want him back. He's one of those guys you love to hate and you lo- and you love to hear. The game is different. The 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 colorfulness that the color com- commentator brings to it. He he's checking all the boxes, hoping that a a speedy recovery and b hopefully get him back on the mic for at least one minimum one more of those Duke UNC games. Wouldn't mind seeing them when they're playing against Syracuse as well. And with that, we're simple, straight to the point on this episode. We're getting right to the hair of the dog, baby. There were, there were a lot of blowout games here that we get to breeze through very quickly to get you right to the to the heart of week six in the NFL. We're going to start it out with the first game on Sunday at 930 over there in the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in London. The Jacksonville Jaguars getting their first win in London over the Miami Dolphins, who also welcomed back Tua Tungaviola to the starting lineup here. The Jags went on a last second field goal. Now, Miami was down to multiple starters. Two are coming back with a 329-yard performance and two touchdowns. Just simply not enough because how do you lose to the Jags? You were up 10 in this game, and you lost to the Jags. This is embarrassing. I guess shout-out to your boy, Urban Meyer, for getting his first win as well as Trevor Lawrence. I was really impressed with Trevor Lawrence in this game, but that doesn't take away with how bad of a loss this is for Miami. I understand you're flying to London. That's a lot, but so is Jacksonville. And Jacksonville is looking for every excuse to quit right now, especially with Urban Meyer, who seemingly had lost a locker room entering this weekend. But I have to give him a little credit because I've been very, very critical of him, as you've known, since he's been announced the coach of the Jaguars. But the end of this game, 
he actually made a very good strategical play. I don't know if it was his decision. If it might have been a coordinator. If it was, then obviously credit to them. But they were tied 20 to 20 with eight seconds left at like the 43, 44 yard line. And instead of just going up and kicking the long field goal, where if you miss it, they're going to have a chance to throw it up deep on their own turn. Instead, he calls a quick little 10 yard slant route after calling a timeout, made it look like they're doing a Hail Mary, push everybody back. Take that underneath yards, call a quick timeout, it's set up for an easier field goal. And I mean, that was a great head coaching move. It's not something we can really say he's had since he was in college. So if you are a Jacksonville fan, there are signs that at least the players here haven't given up, and that's all you can hope for. But dude, the Dolphins, I don't have much more to say. Dude, they're terrible, and I know that people are going to get triggered, the Dolphins fans that want to believe in Tua, but dude, he ain't it. He looked a lot better than having Jacoby Brissett there under center, but Devontae Parker out. You had your top two cornerbacks out in Byron Jones and Xavier Howard. Is there an excuse to lose this game? Yes. But the bigger excuse to win it is the Jacksonville Jaguars is on the other side. You got to line up. You got to play it. But I'm going to pat myself on the back. Jags plus three and a half. Absolute cash. Now, the man who kicked the game-winning field goal, not Josh Lambeau, who's on the roster, a kicker by the name of Matthew Wright. This man, a month ago, was a software engineer. He was tweeting videos trying to make an NFL team, so the Jags signed him as a backup. Nails the 53-yarder to break the Jaguars' 20-game losing streak and obviously the first win of the season. And if he didn't get the update today, the Jaguars officially released Josh Lambeau, and now Matthew Wright is the starting kicker in the NFL. Love stories like this. Yeah, obviously you don't want to see a guy like Lambeau lose his job, but really cool to see a a kid come in and take his opportunity by the reins and really go with it. So good for him and really good for the Jaguars fans and players because I know that this last month has been hell and they've kind of felt like the joke of the NFL. So a win like this, even for a short period on Sunday, I'm very happy for them. Which reminds me too, because we're still looking for that moment for the Detroit Lions after they got just shellacked by the Cincinnati Bengals at home on Sunday. Bengals won that game 34-11. to And I guess we'll start here real quick with the Lions before I ask you a question about the Bengals and throw it to you. But the Lions, man, this was the first time all year. It felt like the team really didn't have a pulse in this game. You saw Dan Campbell say that he needs more out of Jared Goff. And I just don't know how much more there is. It's not even Jared Goff's fault. There's not a lot of talent there on that team. And He doesn't really have that skill set to take over a game himself. But for the Bengals, man, this is awesome because I knew that they were going to be a competitive team. And going back, I know I talked about it last week when we did that way too early prediction show in like March or April, they had plus 1,300 odds to win this division. And I'm really regretting not at least sprinkling that right now because they're going to be in this to the end of the year. And the way the Chiefs look, the way teams like the Raiders and Broncos have started to look, the Bengals very well could find themselves in a position to make the wild card, even if they don't win the division. So great for them. But so Steven, to you, this Bengals team right now, they look legit. Do you think that there is an outside chance that this team can win the division? And even if not, do you think they can be competitive in a wild card round game? So starting with the Bengals, I do not think that they can win the division strictly because Baltimore's on a roll right now. Ask me in a couple weeks. This is a this is a week by week scenario that we have here hey and Baltimore plays the Bengals this week so huge test coming up for both teams 
we'll be able to answer it here next week. You know, if it's a good game between the two. Now, the Cincinnati Bengals, this is a classic. We knew that they're going to be good on paper, but we didn't know it was going to translate like this. Right, they have studs in the wide receiver room. They got Jamar Chase. It's 497. No touchdown this game. Dude already has five through his first six. Five through his first five professional games. Just didn't have any in his sixth. But then you got T. Higgins. You have Tyler Boyd. All of a sudden, the sudden emergence of C.J. Uzma, their tight end, in the red zone. We haven't even said anything about Joe Mixon quite yet. They have some studs on that offensive side of the ball being led by Joe Burrow. Defense isn't as bad off as they were last year. Now, granted, yes, they did play the Detroit Lions. They're holding up against against that competition. You know, Big Ben could have torched that that defense last year, no matter of how big how bad Big Ben is. Aaron Rodgers didn't necessarily torch them. If anything, Devontae Adams did. But as a whole, Aaron didn't really do anything. This team is looking solid. I wouldn't go as far as winning the division, but second place over the Browns right now with all the injuries Cleveland's dealing with and kind of the ups and downs that they're having with their season, it's not far-fetched putting them second in the division, first up in that wild card spot, right? Now, for the Detroit Lions, how could you ask more for Jared Goff, do more with less? He had seven players at the reception last week from Jared Goff. TJ Hawkinson, eight. That's a tight end. DeAndre Swift, five. That's a running back. Jamal Williams with one, also running back. Khalif Raymond, who the fuck is that? Wide receiver. St. Brown, rookie out of USC. Jared Goff doesn't have anyone to throw the ball to. When DeAndre Swift is getting 21 touches, Jamal's only getting five, and that's a brunt of your of your team. Not even talking about TJ Hawkinson. They need a wide receiver. They thought Terrell Williams could have been the number one. He's dealing with concussions, some injuries. He's not a truly number one. You're not building an offense for Jared Goff to succeed in. I'm not expecting him to be insane. We know that when he was with L.A., but my goodness, you got to give him something to work with outside of T.J. Hawkinson. Next game here on the Hair of the Dog, the Indianapolis Colts demolished the Houston Texans. Texans turned the ball over three times. They did not. They looked like they're either this team or a team that can be competitive against a New England Patriots team with a with a solid secondary. Don't have a pulse on this team week by week. But while you said it here best, in reality, beyond the Patriots scare, the Texans just have been worthless worthless without a good quarterback play since Tyrod Taylor came back. They got some wide receiver studs. They have a loaded running back room. They don't have that bad of a defense. But 31-3, to I'm also pissed off because this made me lose my four-team teaser. Took the Colts at plus 24. You couldn't put up another six up here just for good old Steve. I assuming you mean the Texans plus 24, but that's an insane bet to lose. I'm sorry about that. It's rough. Colts needed this one more than anyone in that division right now. That brings them up to a to a brisk two and four. There's not really too much to harp on here. This is a game the Colts needed and should have won. Texans, you are not surprising me at this point in the season. Yeah, the only thing that I think you can take away for the Colts and say it was a loss this weekend is that you expected to make up a game. Because you expected to beat the Texans and you expected the Titans to lose last night on Monday Night Football and that didn't happen. That's the only thing negative you can say here. But there's not really much, like you said, to be said. The Texans are a very bad team that don't have a quarterback. It's not going to get better. I mean, continue to fade them. They're not to go too far ahead and get into the gambling stuff, but to give you an idea of how bad this team is, the line opened up this week at 17 in in a crazy turn of events you rarely see with spreads that large. 
it's actually gotten larger since that spread has come out, and that's bizarre. You don't see that hardly ever. But our next game, we'll go into a little bit more of a competitive one here. I guess not really so much competitive, but the Rams go to New York and basically do what the Colts did to the Texans. They had a really slow first quarter. We're actually trailing 3 to nothing in that game before scoring 28 points in the second quarter. Man, with the injuries that the Giants have right now and with how deficient that offensive line is, I don't know how they're going to be competitive either. I mean, between these last two games, you're going to see, I guess, the first, what, three or four games we've talked here. We have some staples in Hair of the Dog here, Steven. It's almost like they're trying to get a name segment themselves out of this because, dude, this is rough. I'll go to you now if you have anything you want to add. But, dude, the Rams are really, really good. But with these injuries, the Giants are equally as bad. We're horrible. Talk about Jared Goff not having any weapons. Daniel Jones is missing basically his whole wide receiver room. Yeah, Darius Slayton is not playing. Sterling Shepard, who, who barely played, he got Kadarius Toney, who re- aggravated that ankle injury that kept him out up until last week. They may be losing him for multiple games because it's worse than they thought. Still have the questions with Saquon. That offensive line is an absolute joke. They signed two veterans in the offseason, end up retiring before this. You had Nate Soldier who's getting beat left and right. You got their other tackle that, that just went out with injury who's looking pretty solid after a rough rookie year or rough couple of years. They just can't get it right. The building is coming down. I will say, after that slow first quarter from L.A., it was giving me those vibes from a distance of last year when the Giants and Rams kept it very close. And the spread was very large that the Giants ended up covering. I want to say it was like a 17-11 to score, something along those lines. And then all of a sudden, they just explode. Cooper Cup, a player that is a non-quarterback and not Derrick Henry, Holy shit, this guy should be right up there for for MVP talks. Nine receptions for 130 yards and two touchdowns. Cooper Cup is on a mission this year, and Matt Stafford is on a mission to get him paid in his next contract, it seems like. Rams are rolling. Giants are dog shit. In our next game here, we have the Pittsburgh Steelers winning a nail-biter in overtime against the Russell Wilson-less Seattle Seahawks. Geno Smith strip sacked by T.J. Watt here in overtime, which set up Chris Boswell to kick the game winner to kickstart, pun intended, a nice two-game win streak. How long will that last? Probably will end this week. The fact that Big Ben and his offense needed overtime against one of the worst defenses in football and with missing one of the best quarterbacks in football, A, you can only put up 23 points, B, it took you five quarters to put up 23 points against this team. So at this point, Wally, when does winning games like this become problematic for the future in Pittsburgh? I think you have a lot of people having to ask themselves that question already, just because, yeah, if you guys do win a few of these games, you might hang around it potentially even. I mean, what's the best case scenario for the Steelers this year is that they somehow fall ass backwards into the seven seed in the AFC and then lose by a hundred in the first divisional round. Or in the wild card round, because they won't have a bye. I mean, they'll be the seventh seed. So, I, I don't know. I mean, if I'm a Steelers fan, I almost... It could be fun to have a storybook ending. I know it would be a loss. But to have the, the Steelers go back to the playoffs again and have Big Ben not look terrible in a game would be nice. But how likely is that to happen? So, if I'm a Steelers fan, you don't root for your team to lose, but you're okay if it happens. Because this is a rare opportunity for the Steelers to actually get a decent draft pick. And instead, their defense is still quality enough 
that they're going to accidentally go 7-10 and 10 or 8-9 and nine and end up with pick 14 or 15 and kind of stuck in no man's land in the draft. I, I know that you asked it, so I want to hear your thought too. Because this is just nuts. I mean, the Seahawks, by the way, without Russell Wilson, I know that the Cam Newton, apparently they reached out to him, but the Seahawks feel pretty dead in the water too. So I know that's a two-part question. Seahawks, can they get the ship steered the right way? And then do you even want the Steelers to win if you're a Steelers fan? No, I would not. As a Steelers fan, I would not want them to win. But at the same time, is there a lot of really high quarterback prospects that you're going to want to take a chance on this year? Anything you need to focus on the offensive line and get a mediocre quarterback, kind of ride Najee Harris over a couple of years. Maybe you can get a quarterback that way. Go to free agency. I know there's been a lot of rumors circulating the Aaron Rodgers, Mike Tomlin, googly eyes. You know, oh, is he coming to Pittsburgh? You know, I got people I work with that are Steelers fans. Oh, I could see him going there. Really, that's a blimp on literally no one's fucking radar. So I don't know how you're going to see him going there when it's not a real story. It's all smoke and mirrors, as Wally likes to put it. For Seattle, you got you to be dead in the water. Let's take a step back here if you're Seattle. Your season's done. Say you lose all these games. Yeah, you'll be competitive with Geno, I guess. Say you lose all these games. In that division, you can't be more than three games back midseason because they're just going to take off. Arizona's already got four games over you. You have the Rams that have three games over you. And there's no way I see them beating San Francisco. Why not just bite this bullet Go back to the drawing board. Get Russ as healthy as possible, as well as on your side to keep him for another season because of all the turbulent, all the turmoil that happened here this past offseason. And get a solid pick. Get an offensive lineman. Get a, another linebacker, someone in the secondary, an edge rusher, someone on that defense. Get a high draft pick so you can bring someone in to plug and play immediately. That's either offensive line of the ball or the defensive side. I think that's a win-win. The Steelers, I, I don't care. I hope they both just crash and burn at this point. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's a weird spot because if you do land a guy like Aaron and Rodgers, it's a home run. You guys are in a position then to be a Super Bowl team immediately. But it almost has a New York Knicks feel with every single main free agent in the last 20 years in the NBA where every time a guy like LeBron or Dwayne Wade goes and it becomes a free agent, they expect them to get him. You're putting a lot of eggs in one basket if you're wrong. If he doesn't sign there, you're basically stuck in the same position you find yourself in already again next year. So I, I don't know. It's it's a weird spot to be in. But our next game and one of our last games here, the Hair of the Dog, Tampa Bay went to Philadelphia and ended up winning this game 28-22. to And I have to start with that because this was a spread of 6.5. I feel personally victimized. Because this was a 28-7 to game with two minutes left in the third quarter and the Eagles had yet to crack 100 total yards of offense, yet found a way to not only score two more touchdowns, but get the two-point conversion at the end to really dick me and other Tampa Bay seven, six and a half, whatever you got it at, betters out there. You won on that, so... I guess good for you, but outside of that, going from there, the the Eagles, they, it was clear they were overmatched in this game. Jalen Hurts, man, we got to start seeing something before garbage time. I know it's like a running joke from everybody in the, the football world right now that Jalen Hurts is the best garbage time quarterback of all time, but we need to see it in the first 40 minutes of the game, not just the last 20. 
what was your main takeaway when you watched this game? Because I don't know how much we truly learned. We knew that we, the Bucks are still the Bucks. The Eagles are what that eight ish team in the NFC where they're going to be in this all year, but I don't think they're going to get it done. They're not getting it done. They're not going to be in any sort of conversation. We need to get Jalen Hurts the gold jacket of garbage time. This man, this man, he'll get it done for you. Like Wally said, those plus six and a halfers for Philly. Fly, Jalen, fly. There's nothing to really take away with Tampa Bay on this one. I'm going to actually cover this a little bit in, in the gambling section, but this is this is Tampa Bay at its finest. And this is Tom Brady at its finest, right? We were saying the same stuff last year. Tampa Bay's not putting up the points or beating teams as bad as as we think that they should be, kind of like what I was saying earlier about on paper, they should be blowing people out 20 points every single game. When the reality of it is their secondary is falling apart. They had a great three quarters here. And this is a game. This game is the definition of taking the foot off the gas because you know that there wasn't really any real threat that the Eagles were going to come back here. Playoff Lenny, midseason Lenny, clearly the bell cow on that offense here. Two touchdowns. Antonio Brown really starting to put a, put together a nice first half of the season, adding another touchdown. The Eagles are here to fuck up your bets all year. Just look and study very closely. Wally is included in those. But do your homework on that. If you expect a team to beat Philadelphia by 21, it's going to be anywhere between 7 and 9 points because of that garbage time. They're a fun over team. I know they didn't hit it on this one. That's a fun over team. I will say this because I completely forgot the worst part of the bad beat here is not only did Philadelphia score those 15 points in the final, what, 17-ish minutes in the game to make it look like a football game when it wasn't, but Tampa Bay got the ball up 6, 28-22 with like 5 minutes left walk down the field and end up kneeling the ball inside the 10-yard line instead of the field goal, obviously, at the end of the game. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's hard for me to, like, try to actually talk, like, the actual X's and O's of this game because I'm just so bitter about it. But unless you want to talk more, I'm, gonna go, I'm ready to go to the next game. He's shaking his head. We're on to the next one. The Vikings beat the Carolina Panthers on the road in overtime here. The Vikings, all of a sudden now, they're 3-3. Three and three. You look at the games they've had and the games they've played, they very realistically should be 4-2 and two or 5-1. and one. Are you at all worried that the Vikings could hang around in the NFC North longer than we expected? And then I guess the second thing here is Sam Darnold started this game 5-18 of 18 for 60 yards and a pick with I think only a couple minutes left in the third. I mean, Carolina's kind of like the Denver of the NFC. You have a good defense, but if your offense isn't going to return the favor, you're going to end up that 8-9, 9-8, 10-17. the Carolina offense way more than I will trust the Denver offense. These defenses kind of go hand-in-hand. Hand. I like that Carolina defense. They're young. Their stats aren't really changing too much from their slower part of those that 3-0 winning streak, right? Now they've been playing a little bit more competitive teams, and they're still in that conversation about top eight, top seven in the league defensively, especially in the passing aspect of that defense. But the Vikings, I feel like each week we're like, nope, Vikings are done. They win. You know what? I kind of like this Vikings team. They lose. Then next week they lose. You know what? I'm kind of out. I don't know what they're doing with Kirk Cousins. The following week, you know what? Kirk Cousins actually having a pretty solid year, not really turning the ball over. That defense is getting better and better each week. You got Patrick Peterson that ended up being carted off. We'll see how that injury is looking. 
Defense is playing better. Kirk Cousins is not turning the ball over. I want to say that they're bottom three in giveaways in the league right now. They're not taking the ball away a lot, but they're not in the negative in the turnover differential. Dalvin Cook, as long as he can stay healthy, that is how far this team is going to go. Dalvin Cook is a dog in that backfield. You pair that up with Justin Jefferson, Adam feeling myself. This team can be dangerous, but can they consistently string wins together? Whenever they play Green Bay, they always give Green Bay problems because Green Bay can never stop the run. Dalvin Cook cooks them up. Say Minnesota wins that, that divisional game, next thing you know, that division, I want to say, is a toss-up, but now Minnesota's looking a little bit more dangerous. In our last game here in Hair of the Dog, the Kansas City Chiefs have a nice second half and do survive in Washington. And I do say survive, and that's a weird word to use when you win a game 31-13. to But this is one that if you just saw the box score after the fact, you think the Chiefs, they, you know, they're back. Clicking on all cylinders, won this game by three scores. Everybody calmed down. But they were trailing, actually, in this game with under five minutes left in the third quarter, 13 to 10. And it just so happened that Washington's offense was just abysmal for the most of the part on Sunday, which you have to at least be encouraged with the defense if you're a Chiefs fan. But all things considered, there still are problems. They're turning the ball over still. Offense is still like missing a little bit of that crispness that we're used to seeing out of them. But I will say, to have this win here was an important game. You had to win it. They did their job. They did what they had to do to get it done. Washington's more of the story here for me. They're dead. I've given up on them. I am done trying to will them to win. I don't understand what's going on. I really don't know what's going on there. They have fallen off a cliff defensively. I guess offensively, you knew that there was going to be a couple hiccups. When you go from Alex Smith, yes, he's not an amazing quarterback, but that's a veteran presence you'd love to have under center, to Taylor Heineke, who's a little bit erratic in the backfield, right? He likes to get out there. He's not scared to use his legs. He's also not scared to kind of chuck it up there and and turn the ball over, right? You're either going to get a two-touchdown game from Taylor Heineke or you're going to get a two-interception game from Taylor Heineke. And when you have that below-average offense that the Washington football team has paired up with a defense allowing the second most in total yards, the most passing yards, And they're right there in the bottom 12 of rushing, averaging almost 114 yards per game. You cannot turn the ball over. It's a disaster. We're holding hands hopping off this train of the Washington football team because it is bad. Now, Kansas City, this is is a good notch under the old belt. I feel like I've said that a couple times this episode, but you need wins like this. But if Kansas City continues to beat up on the really bad teams this bad and then keep losing to the good teams, maybe – Kansas City's just a mediocre team that we're just giving Patrick Mahomes too much respect on because of his first couple years in the league. Maybe he's fallen off. Maybe that offense really isn't as good as we thought because about 70% of his passes are going to Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. Tyree Kill can't seem to hold on the ball. I would give two, possibly three interceptions blamed on Tyree Kill. So the ball's going right through his hands. Travis Kelsey's not getting his production on right now. It's Kansas City, though. That team will go as far as Patrick Mahomes and that offense will take them, which can be far, but we'll see how Spagnuolo and that defense is going to be looking here down the stretch. And that's it here for the Hair of the Dog segment. But guess what, guys? You don't have to just be beer guys like Steven and I, too. You want to have a little bit of that Hair of the Dog feeling on a Monday morning after a tough Sunday of gambling? You're going to want to go to tabbies.com. That's right. We are brought to you by tabbies.com, the best Delta 8 THC edible on the market. It is sugar-free, keto-friendly, 
gluten-free, heat-resistant, and made of 100% pharmaceutical-grade ingredients with consistent dosing for a perfect edible experience. And I know I talked about it last week. That's so important. There's so many companies out there. You go and you, you cannot have the same dosage because it's done by different people by hand. This is the same every single time. You do it once, you do it 100 times, same effect every single time. But if you're not into the Delta 8 THC, that isn't a problem. The Tab East Company also offers a CBD option with no Delta 8 THC using the same proprietary drug delivery system to guarantee a perfect dose. And right now at tabbees.com, they're offering three flavors, galactic fruit, watermelon, and mint. You guys know mint's my favorite. I'm going to be getting some more of these over to Steven to find out what his are here soon. But our new flavors and the products will be released monthly. So make sure you follow them on Instagram and Facebook with the handle of at TabEaseCO. That is at T-A-B-E-A-S-E-C-O to be the first to know when these drop. You can pick these up at tabbees.com with the promo code FOOTBALL. That's right. With the promo code FOOTBALL for 20% off your entire order with free shipping. We will start it off with the most interesting game. And I'm very excited to talk about this. The Baltimore Ravens slaughtered the visiting Los Angeles Chargers 34-6. to The Chargers only put up 208 yards. This is only 327 that Baltimore put up. But for a high-powered offense that just seems to be lighting the league on fire, led by Mike Williams, sprinkled in with a little bit of Keenan Allen, hand that ball off to Austin Eckler. Maybe I'll get Jared Cook involved a little bit. Next thing you know, the Ravens holding on the ball for more than a quarter longer than the Chargers, not giving them that opportunity. And Justin Herbert looking bad, only 195 yards, a touchdown and one interception on this. Lamar didn't light you up at all. Like I said, that Chargers team cannot stop the run, and they were giving it to every single running back and Lamar on the roster that day. Devontae, Freeman, L. Bell, Murray, Latavius Murray, all scoring touchdowns on the ground. So Wally, you're the AFC West guy. This is your neck of the woods. Should we be worried at all about the Chargers' performance here this past Sunday? And should the Ravens be the AFC favorite right now? I'm going to be like the men in black guys that show up with that little click button and all of a sudden you forget everything. Eliminate this game from your brain for the Chargers. Not just for the players and the team themselves. Throw it out. You're going West Coast to East Coast. You had a brutal few weeks here of playing really difficult teams back to back to back. I mean, think about this last five weeks for the Chargers. I guess all year, realistically. They've played the Cowboys. You follow that up with the Chiefs on the road. The Raiders at home, which is effectively a road game. Then you play the Browns, which turned into a road game at home. And now, you have this game right now. You have the Baltimore Ravens, which you said. They're one of the shortlist favorites for the whole... I mean, I guess for the Super Bowl, really. So, throw it out. Weird game. I wouldn't worry about it. I wouldn't even worry about it when they play again in the postseason. Because everybody will do that. Oh, they dominated them. Different time. Forget about it. For the Ravens, though, this is very, very encouraging. Because, yeah, Lamar's stats weren't exactly lighting the world on fire, like you said. But if you got to see a lot of this game, he looks like he's developing as a passer. This year, we're seeing him make throws that I don't feel like he was comfortable making in the past. And he's doing it, and I guess with that conviction, 
that the ball is just snapping on these receivers. And he had a few throws in this game on third downs, especially, I want to say, in that third quarter to really put the game away. He had a touchdown pass. I want to say it was like third and seven or third and eight. Good ball over the middle. But that's what I'm excited about. If he can be a passer, then yeah, man, they might be the best team in the AFC. We, I need to see it in the postseason before I'm going to completely sell my soul and say that they are my favorites. But they're definitely in that first breath. Personally, me, I think the Ravens should be the favorites. I've been dogging on them a lot this year, but they got the monkey off their back with the Kansas City win. They beat arguably the hottest team in the Chargers right now. And all of a sudden, you flip the script. Baltimore's the hottest team in the NFL. I don't want to touch them. Lamar's playing out of his mind. MVP candidate, absolutely, with every single one of his injuries, every single one of the injuries that they've had in the backfield. Got Sammy Watkins, that's hurt. And Rashawn Bateman, that's finally getting his first action, the rookie that they drafted out of Minnesota. And that defense is the Baltimore Ravens defense that they prided themselves on. We'll see how this goes over the next few weeks. Right now, they are my favorite in the AFC until the Chiefs can prove it prove it right. The Chargers can get back on my good side. And with the Bills losing to the Titans last night, obviously we'll get into how are the Ravens not your favorite right now? That's the last place you're going to want to go through is Baltimore. Maybe Lamar finally gets the other monkey off his back. Playoff games. Maybe he finally comes in here, strings a couple together. we got an AFC championship game for the ages. Against the Bills, against the Chargers, against the Chiefs. Can't wait. Only time will tell, Wally. The next game that we have here, the game of the week. Not so game of the week, but we need to talk about this. The Arizona Cardinals go up to embarrass the Baker Mayfield-led Browns. I say Baker Mayfield because they literally had no one else. Nick Chubb, out. Kareem Hunt gets hurt, leaves the game. Odell Beckham hurts his shoulder, does end up coming back. Jarvis Landry, yes, he's off IR. Still has not played yet. He had two of your starting tackles out of this game. The Browns never had a chance. And on top of that, Baker Mayfield re-dislocates his shoulder, which we found out here in week two is actually a fully torn labrum in his left shoulder. There's a lot going on here in Cleveland. One thing that stands out, Arizona Cardinals are hot in the NFC right now. Only undefeated team left in the league, Kyler Murray with another four-touchdown performance, 129 rating, even without Cliff Klingsbury in Cleveland because he was stuck in Arizona with COVID. They did not miss a beat. Between the Cardinals and the Ravens, this might be a battle of the birdbath here in the Super Bowl coming up in January and February. And I don't know what it is. Those two teams... I had a real difficult time buying into early in the year, and I'm slowly becoming a believer in them. But yeah, this Cardinals team, they look legit. They have it all. I mean, they have a very mobile quarterback that has a arm that's able to make almost any throw, if not any throw out there. And his, what he can do with his legs to extend plays is really special. And to have those wide receivers out there too, once you extend those plays, they're going to be a really tough out for anybody. But for the Browns, yeah, this team is kind of the walking wounded right now, and they kind of are getting a glimpse of what the Chargers have dealt with for years because this Browns team, who came into the year as a Super Bowl favorite, as one of the teams that everybody was really high on, they're starting to run into these injuries, and, and all of a sudden I think a lot of people around here are realizing you can't just will your team to win when you have these injuries and your roster can be as talented as anybody's out there, but if the guys aren't playing... They ain't playing. And you like to talk about best abilities availability. 
that's where you're seeing right now with this Browns team. They're going to have issues if they can't get Jedrick Wills back, if they can't get Nick Chubb back. These guys are vital to this team's success. So we have to hope it's a real quick turnaround. And if it isn't, I mean, at some point, you think about shutting down Baker Mayfield for the year, right? Let him get surgery if he needs it. Let him recover. Because at the end of the day, keeping Baker Mayfield healthy is the priority for this team a lot less than the season as a whole. Keep him okay. Because then the Browns still have a future. What are you doing faster? Jumping on the bandwagon of the Cardinals winning the NFC West or jumping off the bandwagon of the Browns going to the Super Bowl? Oh, I'm I'm definitely off that right now. I mean, going into this year, I talked about it when we were doing the Bengals Brown or the Bengals Lions games, excuse me. But I was really torn because you look at how difficult this Brown schedule was this year. It just felt like a lot of things were going to have to go right, and they haven't. The injuries have come up. They lost a couple games that they probably would have liked to win, like that Chargers game. That makes it difficult, and right now. Uh, the Browns, they're, i got to hope that they make the playoffs. Because think about how deep this playoff field is if they end up losing another game that they shouldn't because of these injuries. You have, right now, the Chiefs, you would still imagine they'd be right around there. You're going to have the Chargers, potentially the Raiders, the Ravens, like you said, one of the favorites in the league. The Bengals are right there all of a sudden. And then the Titans are starting to kind of click. There's going to be only... X amount of spots, and I just don't want to see this Browns team be one of them on the first out of it. This defense is solid. Browns defense, second best in yards per game allowed. Just slightly below 308, but they're also bottom five in turnover differential. Baker turned the ball over three times, one interception, two fumbles, two of those coming on back-to-back possessions. Baker has got to keep the ball. He's got to hold on to the ball, and he has to make better decisions. Maybe having Case Keenum in the backfield wouldn't be too bad. Got a Denver Broncos team you're playing on Thursday. If you feel confident about beating any team coming in with the backup, it would have to be against Denver. Baker's got to be better with with holding on to the ball. It's clearly a turnover problem that's going on in, in Cleveland on top of the injuries. Yeah, I think that definitely, I guess a week like this, with a team like the Broncos, maybe Case Keenum's not the end of the world, but there's just an element of Baker's game that brings that Browns team up when he's playing at a high level. And I'm I'm not sure about the, like the turnovers this week. I mean, you're playing a team that you're overmatched with the injuries that you have. You want to almost, I don't know, you're trying to win the game, so you're making riskier decisions than you usually would. So, I mean, yeah, he has had turnover problems this year. And maybe I'm being a little bit too forgiving of his turnovers. But I don't know. I need to see. I almost want him to get healthy. I, I almost want them to sit him for a couple weeks to get him at least at a position where he can come back and play at the Baker Mayfield level we're used to seeing. You guys don't get to see it, but Steven's over here dancing. It's because the next game on our little rundown It's a, it's here, a little Dante Culpepper, if you remember. I like it. And I tell you what, the people are probably going to enjoy this too because I know that you are on cloud nine and you were probably already there before Aaron Rodgers runs that touchdown in with two, three minutes left and proceeds to look Chicago in its heart, in the eyes of its soul, and say, I still own you. I still fucking own you. First, I'm just going to hand it over to you. Just say what you want to say. First of all, I am nowhere near cloud nine because right now I'm actually on cloud eight, delta eight, 
tabease.com. Make sure you use the promo code FOOTBALL, 20% off the first order, and you get the free shipping. Of course I am up there. My goodness. I, I love this. Let me lead with Adam Alfonso. You're a bitch. Followed with congratulations to Adam Alfonso. Him and his beautiful wife, Emily Alfonso, are expecting their first child. And thirdly, I'm sorry that you have to raise that child as a Bears fan to be miserable just like you are, Adam. With that being said, I still own you. I love it. Aaron Rodgers with a 16-yard rushing touchdown to really put the game away against Chicago's Bears team that I really wasn't too surprised about how it turned out. That defense was ready to play. They were giving pressure on Aaron Rodgers. They had about three sacks on there. But, you know, once you get once you get Aaron going, start talking a little bit of shit, here he comes. Did he do anything crazy? No. Six incompletions, 195 yards, two touchdowns, adds a rushing touchdown in there. Justin Fields, 16 to 27 with 174. One touchdown, one interception, question mark next to it. It was a play that was weird. Justin Fields thought he had a free play, threw it in the end zone, ends up getting intercepted. Yes, I know it's a cheap interception, but let's be real here. That was a horrible throw into the end zone. No one was going to catch that except for the Packers. So rookie mistake. I don't really care. You give me you give me an inch, I'm going to take it a mile. And that's what I'm doing right now. A lot of questionable calls in this. A lot of a lot of calls not being called, but it was a Packers Chicago game. It was gritty. It was close for the most part, but of course, Aaron Rodgers and the boys come back out on top. 5 in a row. Minnesota just dumped Chicago in the division. I expect nothing less for the rest of the year. Green Bay keep rolling. Can't wait to play Chicago again. To beat them again, of course, looking at you, Adam Alfonso. Eyes are locked in. This is a great game. I still own you. All the comments, interviews after this of Aaron Rodgers are hilarious. It's like, you know, I kind of blacked out there a little bit. Goes on the Pat McAfee show today. Yes, he says, I have no regrets about that. I love it. I enjoy talking a little bit of trash. Maybe with Aaron's newfound zen, which is kind of ironic. You're yelling at people, talking shit to them, and you're all about the zen. This is a new side of Aaron I really like. I got a discount double check and the shit talking to the Chicago crowd. That's a win-win for me. The Packers, not going to say they're anywhere near being back. NFC North champions, yet again, cannot wait. Bakhtiari back at practice being activated off the PUP list this week. For all you Green Bay Packers haters, strap in, baby. We have a long season ahead of you. First of all, congratulations to your buddy Adam Alfonso and his wife on the news about having a child. That's awesome. Very excited for you guys. And then from there, I guess I'm going to say some nice things about the Bears first before I rip the Band-Aid off. But I really do believe that Justin Fields in this Bears team have a very real future together. I know that you're a Packers fan, so naturally you're going to be like, hey, stupid throw, throw it in the end zone, Packers, blah, blah, blah. Every time, it was almost like back when Carson Palmer would have the offsides penalties, he would just take an immediate kneel down. Like he would be, snap would come and then kneel it, and it pissed me off because he'd waste plays. And I remember one time, it was second and 12 because he took a knee and they decided it wasn't offsides. It's like the only situation I can find where it actually in reverse was better. But this is, I, I'm not going to overreact to something like that. This Bears team defense is legit. The offense, if they can get a line for them, I mean, there are those glimpses right now. There's the occasional play that you know that they just haven't had a athletic, skilled guy at that quarterback position in Chicago that when they make them, you can almost feel that shock in the, the crowd. That, oh my gosh, this is crazy. But it's going to take some time. 
It's not this year. Aaron Rodgers and that Packers team, you're not kidding. This new Aaron Rodgers kind of persona he has, this I-don't-give-a-fuck attitude, I think it's great for him and the Packers because now it's it really does feel like the last dance where he's taking this approach of what's the worst that can happen. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to basically just ball out and have fun. I think that's scary for a lot of teams in the NFL. The only thing I need to add is I think legally now, uh, we didn't necessarily make a bet, but Adam, you're going to have to name your kid Steve. I mean, why not? It's Emily's dad's name. Great guy. It's my name. Arguably a, a great guy as well. And it just ensures you that you're going to have a good-looking kid if you name him Steve. And I think after this, you just need to, bud. Just bite the bullet. Or, you know, a close second is, is Aaron as the middle name. But we'll talk. Once you kind of simmer down now from yet another Packers loss, that's five in a row if you haven't counted, we'll get something in the works. You don't want to make him name his kid Aaron because then he might just never hang out with his family. That's a good point, Wally. I guess I didn't think about that too much, but his family is Adam. I don't really want to hang out with him, so I'm sure the kid's going to feel the same way once that comes up. Cannot wait to get the text messages from Alfonso telling me that uh, I'm out of his will now. The next game, someone who I just wrote out of my will, the Vegas Raiders winning their first game in the post-John Gruden era against the Denver Broncos, which lock of the week. They were four-point underdogs, and they win by 10. We knew that there was nothing. There, there had to be something that we were missing. Clearly, there was not anything missing. It was easy money there. Denver has now dropped three in a row since starting three and zero. Shout out to Wally. You know he was already, he he made that prediction. But the Raiders looking good offensively. Henry Ruggs, yeah, boy, balling out this week. About time he fucking did something. He's been great all year. And Kenyon Drake adding a couple touchdowns himself, putting up twenty points couple weeks after I dropped him from my fantasy team. Love to see that. I don't want to take up too much of this time. Like I said, the Raiders won by 10. There was never a question that the Raiders weren't going to win this. They had to lead the entire game. They were covering the entire game for the most part. There was no question. I got to toss it to the resident Raiders fan on how we felt about this game Sunday. I'll start with the Broncos first. They started 3-0. I talked about them when I brought up the Panthers earlier because they feel very similar to me. These are two very non-NFL quality offenses right now that are holding these teams back. The Broncos defense, it's pretty good. I know it's not, it's kind of falling off a little bit here, and that's natural when you're going to be playing as often as they are because the offense isn't able to stay on the field. But this Broncos team is going to struggle to get the even 8-9. I almost said 500, and then you have to remember there's 17 games now. But this Broncos team, it's just another one of these teams. This is a really weird time in the NFL where – I feel like typically there's a lot of natural parity where there's a lot of really, really good teams, a lot of really bad teams. There feels like there's a million teams that are going to finish between 7 and 10 and 10 and 7 this year, and the Broncos are just one of them. On to my Raiders, though, now. This was a really, I guess, therapeutic kind of win. Anytime you have a kind of toxic story or toxic environment that happened this last few weeks, I mean, it's hard. I mean, if it's exhausting as a fan, I can only imagine what it's like to be actually a part of the organization, whether that be a player, front office, coach, or whatever. And to see Rich Bisaki, I think is how you pronounce it. I'm going to eventually know how to do it. I'm just, I don't got the Italian blood in my uh, bones here running through me, so I don't got it. Bisaki, yeah, throw the little hands up. But yeah, he, to see him come down and have Mayock there 
enthusiastically ready to shake his hand. Like I got kind of emotional even. Just the Raiders haven't been really good in 20 years. And this finally felt like a year we might be able to break through and have the team kind of have this moment of, you know what, you guys write us off. We're not going to go down that easy. It had that feeling where this team is taking everything personally. I'm back on board. I'm back excited. I, I think this team is a playoff team as it sits. If they can protect Derek Carr, this team is good. Because all of a sudden, I can't believe it. I know the Broncos offense sucks, but the defense has been so much better than I expected this year, and it's continuing. It's nonstop right now. And you mentioned Henry Ruggs. To see the, those steps and the strides that he has taken this year opposed to last, it makes me happy because they're, genu- they're genuinely trying to draw him open right now. Because Darren Waller's attracting more attention than I think anybody could have ever expected. And with that, Henry Ruggs is going to have a lots of opportunities downfield. But I won't draw John any longer, but I just have to say I've never been more excited about a Raiders team. And it has to have been probably since that 2016 year they went 12-4 and four, that I've been this excited about watching the Raiders. It's, I've got the itch, Stephen. I've got the itch. The Dallas Cowboys went to Foxborough and won in overtime, which was good for both of us, considering the fact we had Dallas minus three in this game. But they went 35-29. to 29. It was a crazy ending to the game. You got to see again, Trayvon Diggs had another interception this game. He's been insane this year. He's got to be, I mean, he's on pace to set the NFL record, but he's going to be close if he can keep even somewhat of this pace up right now. And then you have the extra game to even consider too. But what was crazy about this, and then you put it in here, is he had a pick. And what's Mac Jones do the next play or next time they have the ball there? He goes right back at him and they have a 75-yard touchdown pass. I saw a tweet. I think it was from Barcel Big Cap, but I might be wrong. And if it wasn't, I apologize to whoever it was out there. But he had a tweet that just called him the Jameis Winston of cornerbacks. And I thought that was just so perfect. It's been boomer bust for him, and I'm all for it. The Cowboys this year, they're fun. They're a legit Super Bowl threat right now. A lot of people don't want to hear it, but they're for real. New England, man, they're a very competitive team. They've been in a lot of these games. They just haven't got it done. Probably a year they're going to miss the playoffs, but at least you have those glimpses where Mac Jones seems to at least be responsible. He's learning a little bit. Just a growing year. It's not lost. Just keep getting better for Mac Jones, and that's all you can do. But, Steven, these Cowboys, all of a sudden, you asked me earlier about what the Ravens were in the AFC. Let's go to your conference. The Cowboys are got to be in a very short list of genuine Super Bowl threats right now. For sure. How could they not be? Dak is clearly not only comeback player of the year, he might be flirting with the with an MVP right now. He's back with a 445-yard game, three touchdowns, two of those going to C.D. Lamb, who had 140, 49 yards. One of those also the game winners. Dallas put just shy of 600 yards up. They were 3 of 13 on third down. They had 12 penalties for 115 yards, and they still got the dub. Fun little fact, for those of you who did not watch this game, yes, Diggs did have another interception that led to a pick six. Right after, Mac Jones went right back at him. 75-yard touchdown to Kendrick Bourne on back-to-back plays. This game was electric towards the end. Like I said, the aforementioned C.D. Lamb getting the game-winning touchdown here in overtime. How could the Cowboys not be the favorites? Not only in the NFC East, clearly, but as a whole. Say that suck-up for the, the Buccaneers missed that field goal. Maybe Dak gets the ball in overtime. They go down and score. Not only 
is this Dallas Cowboys team six and zero against the spread? They could be six and zero overall in the NFL. Dan Quinn's got that defense playing a classic bend don't break. Yeah, they'll give up yards, but they'll also they'll also make you turn the ball over because right now the Dallas Cowboys are third in turnover differential at plus seven, fourteen takeaways with only giving the ball up seven times. This team is going to be dangerous. Dak Prescott continues his tear. Those wide receivers stay healthy. Michael Gallup should be expected back in the next few weeks. I know Amari Cooper's had that lingering ankle injury. CeeDee Lamb's a stud. Dalton Schultz all of a sudden, one of Dak's top four targets. You can even sprinkle in Blake Jarman, who's had a touchdown in back-to-back games. Dak is making it work. Their defense isn't a liability like it has been in the past. I do not want to see this Dallas team in January with a fully stocked wide receiver and Zeke and Tony Pollard in that backfield. And right now, arguably the best offensive line in football, at least pro football focus, believe so, with the injuries and the missing pieces in that O-line. They're still the best-ranked O-line. This is a scary team, as much as we both hate to admit it. And just one additional note on that gambling stat, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, they're 6-0 against the spread. There's only been, now including them, 11 teams to do that since 2003. And the last one was 2018. Like, that is a really kind of peculiar stat to find for gambling. And it goes into what you said with the turnover differential. Well, it'll be interesting to see if Dallas can keep it up. I don't hate them nearly as much as I feel like you and probably most NFC fans do. But naturally, we will see. They Everybody seems to pay attention to Cowboys one way or another. But then last night, the Monday night football game, I know most people are paying attention to this one. The Titans won a thriller. A late Josh Allen quarterback sneak failed to pick up a fourth and inches inside the 10 with under 30 seconds left. But I will say this. I loved that call. I thought it was great going for it there. And I think it's good for McDermott to really kind of keep that locker room feeling like a player's coach kind of a mentality. I mean, they have a bye next week. You don't want to kind of let that lack of confidence like sit and kind of linger and kind of take away that momentum. You go for it and live with the results. It was a great call. It didn't work. That happens. First loss since week one against the Steelers. This team's still very, very good. I was reluctant to, I guess, buy in. And I, I know they lost this game. But I think with, I guess, the fact that the top end of the AFC is a little bit more wide open than we anticipated. Who knows? This Bills team, you might be right. I'll, I'll ride with you there. But as for the Titans... Derrick Henry's been unreal, Stephen, as everybody knows. At some point, we have to start mentioning the possibility that he's going to be talked about as one of the greats. He does this every single year, early and often, where I feel like that first like two months of the season, he's good, not great, and then you see guys are getting broken down, and he just is that physical runner. Guys, not only at the late season, don't want to tackle him later in games. There was a stat. I don't have it in front of me. I'm hoping that a lot of you guys saw the game so you know at least what I'm referencing. But in the first quarter, Derrick Henry averages the high twos rushing per carry. In the second quarter, it was like mid to high threes. It was mid fours for the third quarter. And it was low sixes for the fourth. That's insane. That kind of, I guess, development over a course of a game. It just shows how physically gifted he is. And even at the NFL level, he's just built different. We may never see another running back like this. We never really have seen a running back like this. Yes, he has pieces of different 
all time running backs, but when's the last, when have you seen a 6'4, 250 pound man with the speed and elusiveness that he has with that dangerous stiff arm? And good luck, because if you're in his way, you're going to eat his shoulder for lunch if you haven't eaten one of his hands already from that stiff arm. Point out, too, you just talked about speed. He had the fastest speed last night in the entire season of the NFL. Clocked on him. I mean, you're right. He's like Earl Campbell, Jerome Bettis, but fast. Earl Campbell, Jerome Bettis, I'd sprinkle in like a half-assed Barry Sanders with, with his elusiveness. Not all the way, because that... Could you imagine Barry Sanders' elusiveness? Madden, create a player. That's all you're doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're creating a 6'6", 300-pound running back, but he has the, the speed that he has. And the, the dude's ridiculous. I'm just going to get on it now because I feel right now there's not really a clear favorite, maybe a couple here and there. I was on it last year. I called it in the beginning of the year if he started going on this trend. Derrick Henry for MVP. Derrick Henry for MVP. This dude is on pace for over 2,300 yards right now. His six games this year, dude's averaging 130 yards per carry. His over-under touchdowns in the beginning of the year was set at 10.5. He's at 10 right now. Talk about easy money. I wish I put my entire life on Derrick Henry over 10.5 touchdowns because he's going to get it within the next half of a football game. I don't have a read on this Tennessee Titans team. This is the first game that they've had their all their offensive stars quote-unquote healthy, and they just go on and beat what you thought was a very hot, if not the hottest team in the division before the Baltimore Ravens beat up on the Chargers. I'm not thinking any more or less of Buffalo. I like Buffalo a lot. Josh Allen still has some development to go through. There is a handful of times last night Hell, I fell asleep in the second half, and they showed me about two or three different videos of Josh Allen leaving wide receivers wide open for not only big plays, but for touchdowns. First quarter, Dawson Knox gets that nice end around, gets called back as of Emmanuel Sanders holding. Next play, Emmanuel Sanders sitting wide open in the end zone, and Josh Allen doesn't even throw it him. It happened about three or four times throughout that game. Josh Allen's got to be able to hit those open receivers, but McDermott, what a dog. Going for it on fourth right there instead of the game-tying field goal, you'll love it. Of course you're going to trust Josh Allen and get you 18 inches. How could you not? Or any of those running backs against that Titans defense that really hasn't been that good this year. If that happened, ten, if you were put in a position for another 10 times, you best believe 10 out of 10 I'm, I'm putting Josh Allen in that same position. Now for the Titans, this could start something. I still can't really get a pulse on them because they can't stay healthy. They just lost Taylor Lewan, their best offensive lineman, last night to an ugly, wicked injury. He has all the feeling in his extremities last time I checked, so love to see that. We better watch out for this Tennessee Titans team. Wally was on, dead on on it. Maybe we didn't give him enough respect with just those 10 wins that you gave him. Are you thinking less of Buffalo, even less than you already do think of Buffalo and Josh Allen? Are you thinking less of them now after losing the Tennessee Titans? No, and while you, I, I, people at home, you never get to see this kind of dynamic with the podcasting. So you went and took a leak at the very beginning when I mentioned that. But the Bills, I actually, in a weird way, I thought higher of them leaving this game. Where I, I really do like have a belief in the offense more than I had before. I still don't know if he's a Super Bowl winning quarterback. And that was my initial thing 
And I don't want it to be morphed into I hate Josh Allen. I just don't know if he's at that point yet. But yeah, I, I think this Titans team, I don't know if I'd go too much higher than 10 games. I still think there's a lot of problems here on defense. But the fact that they had, what, their final six drives, they scored on each of them with the Neal excluded, that's not something that's easy to do. And if you're able to do it in general on a Monday night primetime game against a hungry Buffalo team going into a bye, I think that it's encouraging. I think the Titans are the leader and front runner for the rest of the year in this division. I just don't have the faith in the Colts. That will bring us to the end of our week six recap, which only means one thing. Drum roll, please, and I'll cut it out right there. NFL bets for week seven. Coming in here, Wally will let us know how we did last week before we dive deep into these bets. What the hell's going on out here? Pretty just mundane week. It was very meh. You went 10 and 9, and you lost eight tenths of a unit, where I went 17 and 13 and won about half a unit back. Nothing too crazy. Just a very, I don't know. It's a week you throw out. You, it's kind of a wash. So we're going to do better this week. It's what, three weeks in a row. It's kind of the ultimate bounce. What, three weeks ago, I killed it, won about 10 units. You followed it up, do the same thing last week, and now we're all together. We're going to figure it out. This is going to be a good week for us, Steven. Our first game of the week here, the Thursday night matchup. We have the Denver Broncos visiting the Cleveland Browns. The Browns are three-and-a-half-point favorites, over-under set at 42-and-a-half. So a nice little fun tidbit going in. Both the teams are 3-3 against the spread. Cleveland 4-2 in the over-under. Denver is 2-4. So talk about a true 50-50 no matter what side of the bet that you're looking at. Both these teams are allowing sacks. 19 to Denver, 18 to Cleveland. Yet the Browns are getting after the quarterback more than the Broncos do. Both are great at stopping the run. But you have to give the upper hand to the secondary of the Denver Broncos over the Cleveland Browns right now. The Browns have led up 14 passing touchdowns through six weeks, while Denver's only letting up half of that in seven. With all the injuries that are happening in Cleveland, you got is, is Nick Chubb going to play on a short week? Yes, he didn't play on Sunday. Is he going to play? Kareem Hunt, IR, he's done. Is Jarvis Landry going to make his first start since week one? How's Baker going to look? Are they going to fully commit to Case Keenum or get Baker in the lineup here on Thursday? With all the, with all the Browns injuries to their offensive side of the ball, I'm going to take the Broncos at plus three and a half. Both these teams are hungry for a win. And I just think that the healthier team is, is going to go on to win this. What I'm assuming is going to be an ugly Thursday night game here. Broncos plus three and a half. I'm actually going the other way. I think that you're right that both teams know how important this game is for the playoff race. And I think you're going to get both teams best shot here. And even banged up, I'm going to take Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns to win this game and to cover, I really would have preferred it being two and a half because I do think three points is right around what this will end up being. But I will, for the sake of argument, take the Browns to cover and money line here. As of right now, it sounds like Baker Mayfield is going to play. If he ends up playing, I'm assuming that they have deemed that it's not going to be dangerous for him in his shoulder. And at that point, there's no excuses. You, you lace them up. You have the expectations that you have any other week. And if he is out there, I think the Browns are going to win. I think Baker's going to do well, and that's that. The next game, we have the Washington football team is going to Green Bay for your Packers, who are 9.5-point favorites, where the over-under is set at 48.5. I'm going three bets on this one. I actually have 
I'm doing that for the next bet, too. It's going to be a little funky here for a minute for me. But I'm taking the Washington football team plus 9.5 here. But I'm taking the Green Bay Packers money line with the over. Washington's defense is its so bad. It's unbelievable, actually, at this point, how bad it is with how much talent they have. And I don't know how Green Bay is not going to, I guess, take advantage of that. But Washington, I think they're going to at least be able to hang around this game. Coming off that emotional win for the Packers, I think they might be a little bit flat. So they win this game, but I do think it's closer than people think it's going to be. They win it something like a 31-27 kind of score. Your Packers covering this weekend, Steven, or where are you going with this? We're on the same wavelength on this. Washington does have one of the worst defenses in the league. Looking at you secondary. And I think that Aaron will be able to exploit them. But with the injuries that Green Bay has been dealing with on the offensive line, like I said, David Bakhtiari just got off the PUP list. Don't even know if he's going to be able to play this this Sunday. His replacement, Elton Jenkins, who's the who's been a stud for him, he's been dealing with an injury. You have Josh Myers, their center, who's been dealing with a back injury, an ankle injury that he sustained this past Sunday. And on the other side of the ball, or, or on the other tackle, you have Billy Turner, who's a huge question mark. So I think that that D line of the Washington football team can really take advantage and get some pressure on Aaron Rodgers, that offensive line. Maybe don't allow Aaron Jones to have the game that he's used to have. And even though the Washington football team is allowing around 113, 114 yards per game on the ground. Again, back to the offensive line woes that Green Bay's having. Yeah, Aaron's not really having that much pressure. He doesn't really have his best foot forward on the offensive line side of the ball. Aaron and Devontae are going to hook up here. I wouldn't be surprised if Devontae had another 8-10 to 10 reception for a 150-200 yard game. How bad this is. But I like Washington covering the 9.5. A lot of question marks as well on the defensive side of the ball health-wise for the Green Bay Packers. And I think Wally really hit the nail on the head there. Overcoming those emotional wins or overcoming the tough losses. This next game, you really get to see how this team is. Kind of like what I was saying last week about how the Rams-Giants matchup is giving me scares of what happened last year. This matchup is giving me scares about what happened when Jacksonville came up and how bad they were. They kept that in one possession game. I see the same thing happening here. I have Washington at plus nine and a half. But I'm going to take the Green Bay money line on this. I I think that's the smartest bet that we have here. The next game that we have on the schedule, we have the Kansas City Chiefs, five and a half point favorites at the Tennessee Titans. Fair thing, I'm, I'm really liking the over on this one. I don't trust any of these teams to allow myself to sway to one side or the other. I will say this is the revenge tour year against the Kansas City Chiefs. As much as I don't like betting against the Chiefs, games like this, it seems like the correlation of it this year is, is taking that underdog. Now, Kansas City 2-4 and four against the spread. Tennessee 4-2 and two against the spread. Kansas City is giving up 133 yards per game on the ground. Well, like I said, Derrick Henry is averaging 130 yards per game currently. Both these secondaries are suspect. I'm going to give it to Tennessee over Kansas City secondary. And that defense as a whole is horrible. But I expect Mahomes to carve up the Titans secondary as much as I expect King Henry to eat up the rush defense of Kansas City. I like Tennessee at plus five and a half here. I'm also going to go with the over. I see that as See this as a high-scoring game like it was 36-35 against the Ravens earlier this year when the Chiefs had them. I see that as a very similar score and going way over on the over. I like I like Tennessee 
plus five and a half in the over in this game, Walter. We're going to war on this one because I have Kansas City minus five and a half riding with that money line as well, but I'm going with the under. 56 and a half points is a lot. And the way Derrick Henry is running the ball and it's a focus right now for Tennessee, I think they're going to shorten the game with that. So I think the under is going to hit for that reason. Now beyond that, Patrick Mahomes in this Chiefs team, the offense didn't look as sharp on Sunday against Washington. I don't know if that was more Washington's finally going to figure it out, but I'm not going to ever give them credit again. So that's not it. It has to be Kansas City. And I think coming again, you want to talk about an emotional win. Tennessee winning the game that they did against the Bills on Monday night, the way they won it on Monday night, it's going to be really hard to just go back out and show up at 1 o'clock in the afternoon on short rest and beat the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't care how bad their defense is. So I am rolling with the Chiefs, minus 5.5, money line, and the under. Our next game, the Atlanta Falcons are 2.5-point favorites, which tells you something about the game that you're about to be looking at. But the Atlanta Falcons are 2.5-point favorites on the road at Miami, where the over-under is set at 47.5. If this doesn't tell you what Vegas thinks about Miami, I don't know what does. But I agree with them. I'm taking Atlanta minus 2.5 in the money line here. I don't think two is good. I don't care if who is basically a quarterback for them. Atlanta's defense is bad, but I think that they're even able to slow down this Miami team. Like I said, Falcons minus two and a half in the money line. Tell me you're rolling with me here, Steven. Call us young Fred Durst, baby, because we rolling Limb Biscuit style. Yeah, for all, for all my uh, 90s babies out there, I'm sure you get that. Yeah, Atlanta minus two and a half. This is an ugly matchup. They're both bottom 13 in yards per game. Put it in hair of the dog already. Just put it in hair of the dog already. Oh, yeah. No, no, there's a nice little doggy icon right next to it. A little dog emoji here. Yeah, it's in there. They're both bottom 11 in points per game. Miami's defense, talk about falling off. 29th in points per game. 22nd in yards per game on the ground. 29th in passing yards per game. And 30th in total yards. Hopefully Calvin Murray and Russell Gage are expected to be back and with the emergence of Kyle Pitts here in London, and we'll see how that goes. I like the Falcons to kick the Dolphins while they're down. Now, like I was saying with the injury bug that was hit with them going on to the London without Devontae Parker, their top two cornerbacks in Byron Jones and Xavier Howard, that will be a huge deciding factor if I'm really riding or dying with Atlanta. But Matt Ryan and the Falcons should take advantage of the deep the defensive injuries, and honestly, if they're still in there, they shouldn't be able to keep advantage of that because this defense is horrible. And I expect Matt Ryan and the Falcons to keep Miami's losing streak alive. Minus two and a half, dare I say, potentially an absolute lock, Walter. I'm riding with you. We rolling. Keep rolling, 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 rolling. What y'all do here, the New York Jets, visiting the New England Patriots for Zach Wilson's first game in Gillette Stadium. Good fucking luck, guy. Sorry. Good luck, Virgin. Bill Belichick versus rookie quarterbacks. Not named Davis Mills. That's right. I said it. Davis Mills. Stud, potentially. Bill Belichick's going to make Zach's, Zach Wilson's life a living nightmare. Zach Wilson is leading an offense. Virtually bottom three in everything. New England's offense is, is anywhere between 20 and 24 in those same categories. Yards per game. Points per game. Passing. Rushing yards per game. But these teams are both defensive teams, which I use lightly. That's a term I, I will use lightly right now. New England losing two in a row at home, I, know, I do not see likely. Also do not see them covering the full seven here. 
I see this as being a 16-13 divisional matchup game. Rookie quarterbacks going head-to-head. And also a fun fact I did not mention in the Patriots game. Mac Jones is the only rookie quarterback to pose at or above a 100 quarterback rating in the starts. He's done it twice. No other quarterback has done it. Rookie quarterback, that is. I'm going to give Mac Jones the nod here. But I like the Jets at plus seven and the Patriots to cover the money line here. I'll throw it to you here, Wally, and like these rookie quarterbacks, I hope it doesn't get intercepted. What are your thoughts on this game? That's an interesting fact on Mac Jones. I did not see that yet about the, what, two games with 100 or better passer rating. It makes sense, though. He's the type of guy that in Alabama wasn't asked to do a lot. So coming in as a rookie in that system with Belichick, he's also kind of being told, hey, we want you to be a game manager. We want you to really take care of the ball right now. And we'll focus on that further developing, I guess, that exceptional ability later on. But I'm going to go with New England minus seven, money line and under, just because of what we already saw with this matchup earlier this year. Zach Wilson looked lost. I mean, if there was one game you go back and look at this year and really try to poke a hole in his game, and there's plenty of holes to be poked. But that one, he really, really struggled against Bill Belichick and the Patriots the first time. I think you see very much the same performance here. Because of that, I'm taking the under as well. So, like I said, New England minus seven, money line and under. Zach Wilson's going to be the problem here. And I don't even want to dog on the guy. He's just, I don't I don't see it yet. I, I need to see it. And I'm going to keep betting on New England against divisional rookies especially. Then Carolina is going to New York to MetLife to face the Giants. I'm going to probably keep this one pretty short and sweet too. I'm taking Carolina minus three money line and under again. Total is 43 and a half. With these injuries right now to the Giants, their offense might as well not be on the field. It's amazing to me that 43 and a half was the total when you consider they're going up against a good Carolina defense as well. I think this is a low, low scoring game. Like this is a 20 to seven kind of looking game. But the Panthers finally get off that little bit of a losing streak here. Sam Darnold starts looking like Sam Darnold again. In the Giants, boy, <laughs> not a great year. And like you said, it's only going to get worse on this game. Now, depending on how the New York Giants' offensive health looks, maybe I could be swayed, but this Carolina team is still second in the league in passing yards per game allowed, allowing around 111 yards rushing per game on top of that. But the New York Giants are allowing the third most rushing yards or bottom 11 in passing yards allowed. And I think this Carolina team can really put their footprint in this game. They just played a Vikings team that is way better on the defensive side of the ball, and they scored 28 points on them. Yes, it took them a couple quarters to, to really get going. New York defensively have not done anything mind-blowing, and with a lot of the wide receiver absences happening here, I just don't see where New York's going to get the production offensively to be competitive in this game. I like Carolina minus three in here going up to MetLife sneaking one out of here. I don't want to touch the over-under. I can see Carolina exploding, and maybe New York kind of follows it. Or like you said, a 20-7 to game, and we kind of saw that coming all along. I like Carolina minus three here. Get back in that win column. Maybe they can start stringing a couple here before they get Christian McCaffrey back, who just went right back on the injured reserve, expected to miss the next three games. Next game that we have here on the schedule, Cincinnati Bengals with the divisional matchup Visiting the Baltimore Ravens, where the Ravens are six and a half point favorites. The over under is set at 47 and a half. This is fun. 
Cincinnati's defense, they're fifth in the league in points per game, only allowing 18.5, so roughly around 19 points per game, only allowing slightly under 91 yards per game, 240 in the air. But I'm not going to sit here and bet against the hottest team in the league right now. Yes, Baltimore has a bottom seven pass defense in terms of yards. That's the only way that I see Joe Burrow keeping his team in this and keeping it competitive. But right now, it's very, very hard for me to bet against the Baltimore Ravens. But I clearly didn't give a fuck about him about three weeks ago, and I was ready to just say, fuck Lamar, push it aside. He's starting to make me a believer yet again, like he did his first year in the league here. First first year playing in the league, I should say. I can't look too much into this. I'm going to ride with Baltimore until they burn me. So this is funny. So I don't necessarily even fully feel the way I have my pick written down here. But last night after the games, I was having a couple adult pops, and I'm starting to think they were Cincinnati Kool-Aid because I have the Bengals plus six and money line in this game. I don't know why, because now, like, you know, water's in me, hydrated effectively. I don't necessarily think that the Bengals will win, but screw it. I'm riding or dying with my drunk brain. Bengals are going to win this game, and I'm going to tell you how they're going to do it here. Joe Burrow is going to get rid of the ball in an aggressive amount of time when he's on his quick drops. We're talking that, like, top of the league, the Big Ben-ish level, 2, 2.1, 2.2 seconds on release of the ball. I think you're going to see a lot of that. Joe Mixon's going to have to be important in this game. And this is the biggest test so far for this new revamped Bengals defense. They've looked really good all year. This is where it's going to get real, though. I think that they're going to have to get a few sacks, maybe force a turnover or two. I don't necessarily feel very confident in this pick, but shit, I have it written down. It's who day time. So the Bengals win outright. Detroit now is going to the Rams, going out to LA. And the Rams are 15 and a half point favorites, where the over-under set at 50 and a half. It's crazy to me that this 15 and a half point spread isn't the largest one. And if you remember earlier, I alluded to what the one was. But I think you and I are thinking similarly on this, so I'm not going to talk too long. I'm taking Detroit plus the 15 and a half. I think last week was a little bit of a fluke in terms that I think they're going to be much more competitive on a week-to-week basis than they were against the Bengals. So I have them covering, but I have the Rams money line. And you know what? I'm not even doing that. This is a rare exception. I'm eliminating that off the list because there's just not a lot of value when you're a 15 and a half point favorite. It's going to be, if you bet a hundred bucks, you'll be making like 20 back maybe. So I'm going to avoid that. So I'm just going to do Detroit plus 15 and a half here. We're on the same page yet again, Wally. And I feel like this is the one-off week where we have a lot of similar bets. So I guess these people are going to be riding or dying, dying by both of us. It's a lot of points. We say that a lot. And for some reason this year, they're covering it. 15 and a half. This game is only going to go up. You know, yes, the Rams demolished the Giants last week. The Lions are in NFL hell right now. They cannot catch a break with their schedule. They can't catch a break overall. But borderline 16 points is a lot in this league. Detroit's opponent's average margin of victory is around just slightly under 11 points. Yes, there's a couple two-point victories that kind of weighed that down, not including the 25-point loss to the Bengals. Then you got the 18-point loss against the Packers in, in week two, week three, whatever that may be. But I'm going to take the Lions at plus 15 and a half here. Even though the Rams are 4-2 against the spread ball, Detroit is 3-3. That's giving you a 58% chance of covering here, which does not make this easier. I'm just going to give it the Lions plus 15.5. And and I'm going to sit here and wait for that line to only grow and grow more until maybe a 17, 
17, five, or maybe an 18 point where now it's, now it's a three possession game. That's a lot of points to ask for a Rams team that has to have these back to back double digit spreads that they have to cover. Lions plus 15 and a half. Shout out to my boys, Brock and Butson on that one. Next game we have here. Your Vegas Raiders are hosting the Philadelphia Eagles, where the Raiders are three and a half, excuse me, where the Raiders are three point favorites over under set at 48 and a half. Vegas minus three. I'm taking the money line. The Raiders are top, top 10 in the offensive yards between the three main categories. Philadelphia, top five in passing yards per game, led by Oscar the Grouch, man straight out of the trash can, Jalen Hurts. But yet the Eagles are allowing 136 yards per game on the ground. Josh Jacobs is itching for that game, and he can finally, A, be healthy, and, and B, really break out. And maybe Kenny Drake can continue his dominance that he had last week in the two in the two touchdown game in the receiving end. I like the Raiders here. They're starting the John Gruden era on a 2-0 run. And maybe, like I was saying about the Tennessee Titans, maybe this is a deciding game, or the Denver one the week previous, that Vegas kind of gets it together here and starts making some noise in that AFC West. I'm with you, and I feel like I've had a pretty good gauge on this team in terms of betting this year. The only loss was when I picked the Raiders to beat the Bears, and that was just such a weird and gross game to watch anyways. But I think the Raiders win this game, so I'm taking money line, and I'm going to also take minus three. I think the defense is going to give Jalen Hurts fits, and we've proven this year that we were able to handle Lamar Jackson. I think that an athletic quarterback's not necessarily the Achilles heel that it used to be for this defense, and I think the Raiders' offense is going to move the ball pretty regularly in this game. It will be interesting to see how the fan base does there, too, because it really is the only time that we've seen a large-scale team outside of Chicago come to Las Vegas since then. I'm trying to get a gauge on how the fan base is going to do. It's really hard when you're such a transient city to maintain a home field advantage, but I'm hoping for it. Raiders win this game. Derek Carr looks great yet again, and Rich Bisakia is the truth. Special teams coordinator, my ass. Embrace the future with Rich. We're rich in Las Vegas. Raiders cover. Then here's our biggest spread of the week right here. Houston's going to Arizona. And surprise, surprise, arguably the worst team in football is playing arguably the best team in football. We have a crazy number. The Cardinals are 17.5 point favorites, and 47.5 is the over-under. I have Houston plus 17.5. I don't think that I could ever bet a NFL game beyond 17. I don't think I could do it. So I'm taking Houston plus 17.5, but nothing else. I don't want the money line. I don't want the over-under. And to give you an idea, this may pop back up again in our final segment here in a few minutes. I'm taking the over 47 and a half in this game. I'm a huge fan of the. If you have these large spreads and a little bit lower of an over under, then I'm going to take it. You're expecting Houston to get some garbage time. Maybe Arizona's up 30 nothing, right? Late in the third. Houston gets some garbage time touchdowns. Arizona adds a bullshit field goal that no one really cares about. Next thing you know, it's at 48. With six minutes left, you're like, holy shit, here we go. That was way too easy. Arizona 5-1 and one against the spread so far this year. Houston is bottom seven in yardage, every offensive category. While Houston's minus three in the turnover differential, where Arizona's at plus eight. Arizona can take the ball away, and Houston loves giving it away. I'm staying away from the three-score spread. Hone it on the over. This Arizona offense is too hot for me to bet against. With the way Kyler and the boys are playing right now, I just like the over because they can light up the scoreboard. And I like picking the over because I just want both teams to have a good time. 
Next game we have on the schedule, the Chicago Bears visiting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where the Buccaneers are 13.5-point favorites. Over is also set at 47.5. Remember this game last year? The Bears going to Tampa Bay, get a victory. We're all thinking, what the hell is happening with Tampa Bay? Bears defense knows how to get after the quarterback. They have 21 sacks on the year. I want to say it's like top two or three. They've also given up the most amount of sacks in the league thus far. A true yin and yang. Now, this Tampa Bay defense is very hurt. Keep your eyes on the injury report. Hone in on the secondary of what that's looking like. Yes, Justin Fields, isn't that amazing? Maybe you can get something going against this team that seems like they were, they, you know, Jalen Hurts made it a game all of a sudden in the fourth quarter. Not saying Justin Fields can make it a game at all, but I like Chicago to at least cover this 13 and a half points. I'll even go as far as wait for that to build up a little bit. So I think that their defense can keep them in this game a little bit more than Vegas does, obviously. Chicago at 13 and a half, Tampa Bay money line. Hopefully you are in the same boat as me. What are your thoughts on this game, Wally? No, we're on the same page, exactly. This is a game that I, I really had to try to remind myself that last year doesn't factor into this game. Is I, I mean, we still remember the Tom Brady four holding up game against Chicago last year. But I do just I don't know what it is. I just feel like Chicago kind of is built to give Tampa Bay a little bit of fits. Defense is very, very good. And I think the way that secondary in Tampa Bay is really banged up right now. You might see Justin Fields be able to throw it downfield a little bit more than you have. I have them covering, but I don't. they're not going to win. I mean, the Buccaneers are really freaking good. Just a little bit of a sloppy game to watch because of what that Chicago defense can do. Real quick, before I go to our next game, I just want to throw out there because I always watch Red Zone while I'm doing this. And every time it comes on, I forgot that the Bears wore those old school throwback white uniforms with like kind of the winged helmet, kind of like Michigan. They're some of the best uniforms in football, at least in the NFL. I wish they brought them more. And your face right now is where most people say, I love those uniforms. They're fucking boring. What is How so are they good boring? They're awesome. Coming from an Ohio State guy and you just compared it to Michigan. Hey, I'm a willing, I'm big enough man to admit that the Michigan helmet is sweet. Oh my god, I am so happy that we're getting this on video. We're getting it on audio. For a man who loves not only college football and his Ohio State Buckeyes, who also does podcasts, Pigskins and Islands. Check that out. Big Ten, a little college football. Loves you to get your gambling in there while he's got you covered. How dare you? How <laughs> dare you come in here? Not only... I can hate the team and say the helmet's cool. That's a fact. Someone somewhere, for some reason, is listening to Loss of Down, who is a diehard Packers fan who also loves Ohio State, is putting you on their hit list right now because of this blasphemy of the boring fucking uniforms the Chicago Bears have. What, is a close second the jail bees of the Pittsburgh Steelers uniforms? You I hated those. Fuck. I hated those. I, I want that to be clear. I hated the Steeler bees one. But I will say it's kind of you're making me think of that old school ESPN commercial where David Ortiz and Jorge Posada are in the studio and David Ortiz is like, no, man, you got to bend your hat like this. So he takes Jorge Posada's Yankee hat, puts it on, and curves it. And the mascot for the Red Sox walks by and drops everything in his hand. And it was the same thing I feel like David Ortiz. No, Wally, come back, Wally. Like, it's not a big deal. That's the same thing. I'm like, no, dude, I still hate the team. I'm just telling you. It's an iconic look. They take the fucking hat off and throw it against the wall. I'm tired. Fucking continue. 
I will continue even though I'm on the right side of history here. But the next game, the Indianapolis Colts are traveling to San Francisco where the 49ers are three and a half point favorites and 44 and a half is the over under. The Niners are my pick here. I'm taking them to cover and win outright. The Colts aren't a very good football team. I think when they play good ones, they're going to be exposed. And I think this is almost an overcorrection coming off of that big win against Houston where people are like, hey, I told you this Colts team was halfway decent. I knew that they were going to eventually get there. Maybe it was just the Houston Texans are very bad. And that's where I'm at right now. Niners win. They get back in the thick of things in the NFC. So what do you have? Are you riding with your NFC West foe here? Or I don't like that either because it makes it sound like I think that you're in the NFC West. That's all I'm trying to say. Who the fuck do you have? <laughs> yeah, I have San Francisco minus three and a half in this game. Maybe San Francisco can start turning around. They're coming off the bye week. We'll see how Jimmy G is looking healthy. Maybe they got a little bit more of the playbook integrated with Trey Lance. The Colts are not a real team. They have no offensive line help. You're missing not only the best offensive lineman on your team, potentially in the NFL. Carson Wentz still hobbling around out there. Yes, I know he's putting up effective numbers, nothing that will light up a defense, but he's just being effective. Indianapolis's defense, I'm not really fully on board like I was earlier in the year. And again, coming off that bye week, Kyle Shanahan, you give him that extra time, give him two weeks to prepare for a team, you let him sit there and watch you, yeah, dismantle the Houston Texans, cool. San Francisco minus three and a half and money line in this game. I don't see a single way that this doesn't end up like this. I truly don't think Indianapolis can pull off an upset. With the last game of the week that we have here, the New Orleans Saints visiting the Seattle Seahawks. Is this back-to-back primetime games that Geno Smith gets? Unless we see Cam Newton get signed this week. You're probably right, yeah. Fuck Cam Newton. I like the Saints minus five and a half here as well. I expect this... Honestly, I expect this game, that spread to kind of dwindle a little bit. Maybe it's like a five, four and a half. Four points is a stretch. But Jameis Winston, this is a defense you can light it up for people to really start talking, talking positively about you again. I have no trust in Seattle. This is a, it's a tough defense that New Orleans, in New Orleans that Seattle has to play with. Again, the argument that I made that was so surprising about Pittsburgh that they did not take advantage of is the Seattle defense. I have no trust in that defense. Alvin Kamara is going to hook up that Seattle front seven, back seven, front 11, back 11. Doesn't matter. Load the fucking box because Alvin Kamara is going to roast you. Jameis Winston's going to have fun. Maybe add a couple wrinkles with Taysom Hill in there. And this game potentially is going to be a blowout. I'm going to go to the New Orleans Saints minus five and a half here, as well as I'm going to jump on the money line. Yeah, it kind of feels like a rat line because it feels like the Saints should be favored by a little bit more. So I am riding with you right now, but I'm a little skeptical of this. It just feels like that there's something off the Vegas might know something. I mean, you have Michael Thomas coming off the PUP list too, going into this game. Saints should win. They're more talented as it sits. And with Geno Smith back there, a quarterback, and I want it to be clear, he looked halfway decent at least for the role that he was asked to do but I still like the Saints more as a collective whole here I'm taking Jameis I think that with that addition of Michael Thomas the offense should be a little bit more fluid at least I hope I'm taking New Orleans in this game I'd like to see that offense at least start clicking a little bit I think they will 
they're going to cover this game. And I'm like you, I think it could be a blowout. And that just makes me nervous that we both feel that way. Before we send you guys off on your merry little ways, the last segment, my personal favorite, hopefully your personal favorite, I don't know about Wally, hasn't really said too much about it. Prop, lock, and drop it. That's right. We give you a prop bet to pick. We give you a lock of the week. And we give you a game that personally we think that you guys should stay away from. I will lead us off here. My prop, which unfortunately the Giants has the lowest scoring team last week, did not hit. It felt pretty good going into that final quarter. Houston was not able to score that touchdown to put them over, and the Giants ended up scoring that touchdown to push them to 11. The Texans being the lowest scoring team last week with three points only scored, so I'm sorry to mislead you, but you know this is potentially a lock for the prop. Zach Wilson to throw an interception against that New England Patriots secondary in his first game in Gillette Stadium. Don't have the odds on it right now. I'm waiting for it to drop. Once we, got, once we do get the graphics out to you guys, I will make sure to have the odds in there. I feel like that's an easy bet right there. My lock of the week is going to be the Atlanta Falcons at minus two and a half against the Miami Dolphins. Yes, I know. I said watch out for that injury report. That's going to make you more confident in taking this pick, especially if Byron Jones, Xavier, and Howard are out yet again. Hell, even if one of them are out, I'm pretty confident that absolute lock of the week is going to be Atlanta minus two and a half. You're getting all their offensive weapons back after the game in London. And my drop of the week, of course, the L.A. Rams minus 15 and a half. For those who are favoring the Rams, I'm staying away from that. We have said it, and we will reiterate it. That is too many points for an NFL game. And if the Rams cover, I am okay biting the bullet that I was wrong. Wally, what's your prop lock and drop this week? My prop, i got to stick with my little bit of a tradition here of making it a Thursday night game. I have Odell Beckham Jr. scoring at any time, in any time score or prop. That pays at plus 150. I feel like the way this Browns offense has looked lately, and considering that Nick Chubb is out, you're going to see a conscious effort to have a successful air raid attack, and it would be nice to see Odell kind of have a week where he's really clicking. So I'm going with him. It's a very fitting environment, a good team for him. To, it seems like a good time, a good team, a good primetime game to get him off his little bit of a rough start here. But then I have him for my luck. I'm going with the Raiders against Philadelphia and minus three for the Raiders. I don't know what it is. It's just this feels like a game that the Raiders should win 34 to 20. Really not give up too much of Jalen Hurts, but also move the ball pretty well. So to have a spread that low, I don't know if it's a matchup situation that I might not be seeing or if the Raiders just don't have that, I guess, respect yet from the books out there. But I am going to say that that's a lock. And then, like you, my drop, not the same game, but for the same reason, I have Houston at Arizona. Arizona's a 17.5-point favorite, and that's way too many points. I will not be betting any spreads when you get above about 16, 17 for sure. And that will bring us to another end of Loss of Down. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, at Loss of Down. Of course, Twitter, ran by yours truly, Walter Lukashensky, down underscore loss. As always, I'm your host, Stephen Weed, my main man in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Wally Lukashevsky, my co-host, always kicking ass. With the editing, give this man a shout-out. Give him a little bit of love. Been grinding his ass off here for a couple weeks. Thought I'd give him a little bit of love this episode. What are your parting words here, fuckboy? My parting words, I guess, going back to the way we started, and thank you for the little props there. I appreciate that. But Sean Taylor getting his number retired, this guy truly was... I mean, if he managed to stay alive longer, be in the league, and stay healthy, 
He could have been in that Troy Polamalu, Ed Reed resurgence of that safety position that we saw in that mid-thousands period. And it's just a shame that so many people, younger guys that didn't get to watch the games, I feel like they got robbed because Sean Taylor really was special. And it was very, very evident from the moment he stepped on the field. I mean, shit, most Buckeye fans out there can probably remember him very well from that 0-2 national title game, too. So, Stephen, I'll let you have your final thoughts, but that's mine. Sean Taylor, one of the best to ever do it. Sean Taylor, RIP to a legend. His anniversary happened this past week. And, of course, a natural defender. When he died, he died defending his family. You summarized it perfectly, Wally. And I think Sean Taylor could have been that Kobe-esque football player of our generation where just a few-year window of the people really thought that he was the best. Yeah, Troy Polamalu was right in there. Ed Reed was kind of towards the tail end of our high school, but Sean Taylor had been all of us growing up. And like, that's our dude. You had MJ. You had LeBron. But right in between that era, you had Kobe. No one ever talks about that. RDP to some goats. You know what? Make sure you're gambling on NHL. The NHL is back. I'm not that big, big of a hockey guy. I did go to the CBJ Kraken game, though. That was a blast. Crackhead, huh? Hey, Ronnie Francis. One of a Carolina Raleigh... Raleigh goats, North Carolina hey, goats. Penguins go too. Respect. We both have to join on that one. Penguins legend Ron Francis too. And the Hartford Whalers, Ronnie Francis, absolute legend. Until next week, he is Wyatt Lukashensky. I'm Stephen Weed. This is Lost and Down. Cannot wait to make you even more money this week. Go to hell, Zach Youssef. Screw the Eagles. 